Well, good morning, MCC, and welcome in. If you're joining us online or you're joining us here in person, it is always a privilege to be with you guys. How are you doing? Good, 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 good. Online people, we're hanging in there. We're doing good. It's, hopefully you're, you're, you're looking out a window or you're watching this from a front porch swing or somewhere. It's a beautiful day. Um, this, this giant yellow orb has lifted and the sun is out, and it's a beautiful day here in MCC. We're in a, in a series called More, and we've been talking about how to get more of God's best and less of the things that aren't God's best. And as we've been diving into the series, uh, we started out kind of week one talking about how less is more, and we issued this big challenge to take some of the stuff that we have in our house we don't need anymore and turn it into more. And, man, you guys have taken off on that. It's been amazing to see what God's done that. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, go back and watch week one. I don't have time to dive into all that here. Last week, we talked about digging out of these prayers to pray to dig out of the stress that debt can bring. And today we're going to talk about how we can live lives where we have more to give. So before we dive into talking about how we can live lives where we have more to give, I want to tell you about something that we as a church are getting ready to give you. And it may not be for all of you, but we are willing to give it to as many as we possibly can. As a church, we want to spread the gospel, we want to introduce people to Jesus, we want to see lives change, but man, we want to be helpful. And we believe if you're going to be a part of this thing, like we want it to be said that MCC made my life better. The things that I did there, the things I encountered there, the things I learned there, I put them into practice, into play in my life, and it actually made my life better. And one of the things that makes our life worse is financial stress, financial debt, and lack of financial understanding. So we want to help. Uh, we are starting Financial Peace University as a church. This is a thing for us, man. Wherever you're at, um, whether you feel like I got this under control, but I can use some tips, or you're like, I am absolutely lost in debt to my eyeballs and I need help. We're going to throw all pride aside and we're going to come to a place where we can grow. So here's what I need your help on. For us as a church, this, this course, this class, this training, uh, it, it's a big deal. It, it's a, a very, uh, you know, professionally done by Dave Ramsey. I mean, naturally, everybody knows that name. We are willing to meet you in the middle. Uh, the course itself costs $100 to go through. And I know you're like, hey, financial peace, it costs $100 to go through this course. Uh, whatever, we, we can, I, I mean, I felt the same way too, I'm with you. What we're doing as a church though, is we're meeting you in the middle. We are going to do everything we can, and you have my word on this, and then some, if we have to, to say, we'll cover 50 of your enrollment into the class, you cover the other 50. Now, if you're like, dang, man, I ain't got 50, I would ask, do you have Netflix? Do you have Hulu? Do you have Spotify? Do you have all those things? Because, friends, most every single one, like, it's all about how serious are we going to be about this, okay? Because at the end of the day, like, if you have five of those subscriptions, just pause them for one month, just one month, friend, and you're good to go. Or maybe you only have Netflix. Just pause Netflix for five months, and it paid for itself. And the time that you would watch Netflix, here's the cool thing, and if you're online, dig in here. This is not just an in-person class. The reason why I need to gauge interest here is because, yes, we will do an in-person portion of this, but the reason it is a little bit more expensive is because it's also an online thing so that you have it and you always have it. It gives you a year access to everything that FPU is online. So all the apps, all the resources, all the tools, everything to walk you through, man, I need to get out of debt. To, I need to build a plan for my future. It'll walk you through every single bit of that. But again, like everything in life, friends, you get out of it what you put into it. And what I need to know is how much we're getting ready to bless you guys and how much of a blessing this is getting ready to be 
for you. So if this is something you're interested in, you're like, man, I need help in this. I, I want to grow. I want to live a life where I can give freely. I want to live a life where I'm more generous. I want to live a life where I'm able to, to give back and set up my grandkids or my kids for, for a future and they don't have to stress and worry like I did. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to text FPU, FPU to 770-450-1555. That's not you signing up. There's not going to ask for a credit card. It's going to ask for some information about you so we can get in contact with you. And then it's going to ask, do you want to do an in-person class or do you want to do an online? Are we texting that person right there? Um, sorry, I'm just messing with you. Um, whether you want to do it online or in person. Okay, if you want to do it in person, you, you get the, the comfortability of going to a classroom and you can hang out there and you can talk and, and ask questions. We have some uh, amazing uh, financial gurus at our church who can help walk you through this. If you're doing it online, they're still available to you. Whether it's setting up a phone call, setting up a Zoom call, we're going to do everything we can to be a church that pours a generous heart into you so that we collectively can have a heart as a church that is generous. Not just so that we can build great 401ks and drive really nice cars, but so that we can continue to pour ourselves out so that our city looks more like the kingdom of God. All right? Let's pray. We'll dive into God's word. Jesus, we love you. God, as we get ready to talk about a topic like this, God, man, people are zipping up their pocketbooks and holding on tight. God, listen, I pray that they would understand giving from your perspective more than our worldly perspective. Father, as we come to your word, let it meet us where we are. Father, so many people who are watching online, so many people here in this room with me, we need breakthrough. And we, we showed up today just looking for hope, man. Just looking for, for, for something to help us hang on, something to, to latch on to, to take one positive step back in that right direction, God. And so I pray that by the power of your word, not by my words, that you would lead people to the breakthrough that they need to today so they can take a step closer to you, a loving, caring, heavenly Father who sent his Son to give us a life that we could never have on our own. In your name, amen. Amen. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in a book called 2 Corinthians. It's not really a book. It's actually more of a letter. Uh, it's back in the back of your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 is where we're going to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Let me set up kind of what's going on here in this last part of uh, this, this book that is 2 Corinthians, this note that Paul was writing to a church in a place called Corinth, hence 2 Corinthians is the second note he wrote to the church in Corinth. If you're like, hey, I have no idea what we're talking about here. So, Paul was writing a letter to this church in Corinth. Now, the church in Corinth was kind of like a, man, we just let it all hang out. It was like what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. There were people doing all sorts of crazy things that you don't want to talk about at church. In the church in Corinth, I mean, like it was, you name it, they were doing it. It was bad. And so Paul, for his first book, he kind of roasts them. He just lays them out, tells them, hey, you, gotta, got, you guys got to chill out. You got to relax this. Remember who Jesus is and stop. Like, put your pants on. Like, seriously, go read 1 Corinthians. That's pretty much, I mean, summary of 1 Corinthians. Love Jesus. Keep your clothes on. Um, 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing, restoring the relationship, drawing them back into who Jesus is. And here towards the end, we're coming to what is the, what, what I would say, and most, most scholars would say is, and I'm not a scholar, is the, the New Testament crown jewel of how we should live generous lives in regards to our finances. And so we're going to dive into this today. It's going to hopefully be a little bit different than what you've heard at a church from other, you know, Slick back hair preachers or what you saw on TV if you're watching this online. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hopefully do my best to be different than any other TV preacher you've ever seen before if I'm on your TV today. But what's happening here is Paul is writing to this church. 
And he's encouraging them here in, here in these last two chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 9. He's encouraging them to follow through on the generosity that they have already committed to. So previously they had said, hey, we want to help out this other church. So in this time, there's not like churches on every street corner. There's like one church in each city. And they're kind of in this Mediterranean region like Greece and Italy, kind of around that area if you're looking at it on a map. And there's just churches in random different cities. And there's one really big one that's kind of the one that started out in Jerusalem. That's where Jesus was crucified. Now that church, they're having really, really hard times. Because again, that's where all the Jews are at. That's where all the religious leaders who killed Jesus are at. So it's really kind of a tough place to have church because the people who hated, like, it's a really hard place to have a Christian church because the people who killed Christ, they're kind of there too. And so they're just coming down on the people who are there. And Paul's talking to the church in Corinth and going, hey guys, listen, church in Jerusalem, they're struggling. Let's raise up an offering. Let's send it to them so that we can help them out because we love Jesus and that's what we do. We give. And so he's saying, that's what I need you to do. But I don't want you to do it begrudgingly. I don't want you to Venmo them this money expecting that they're going to Venmo you back. Like, I want you to do this with a good heart. And he walks them through this good heart that leads to generous giving. And that's what I want to walk you through today. All right, sound good? Kind of get where we're at? Cool. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. He says, the point is this. Summing it all up. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He's talking about basically the law of the harvest. You sow a bunch of seed, you're going to get more plants. You don't sow a whole lot of seed, you're not going to get a whole lot of plants. It goes on, verse 7. Now he's talking about this giving side. Each one, pause right there, not each church. He, again, he's talking to a church, but then he breaks it out of the collective and brings it down to the individual level, to every you know, Facebook user, or YouTube user, to every butt that's in a seat. He says, each one must give as he or she has decided in his heart. So it's, it's, it, what is giving a matter of? The heart. It's not a matter of how much I have. It's not a matter of how guilty somebody made me feel. It's not a matter if I ever gave before. It's a matter of my heart. It's also not a matter of my head. Because, man, let's be honest in here. In our head a lot of times... I don't want to give. Like, uh, you know, we, we come around January, everybody gets their taxes back, and, and you see what you gave to church. And if, and if you're a, a generous person who gives a bunch, you, you can look at that number and go, I could have bought sea dues. Like, that would have been, like, sometimes we go, man, in my head, yeah. In my heart, I know it was the right thing to do. In my head, I don't know, man. Could maybe done other things. Like, well, it's okay to be there and feel that. He says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart. Then he tells the two ways that we don't give. Not reluctantly. So not going, take it. Uh, sorry, Jesus. He's not, he's not mad at me. He forgives me. I didn't mean to knock it all the way off. Um, not just saying, take it, whatever, fine. I'll do what you said. Not reluctantly. And then also he says, are under compulsion. Which is going, well, I want the guy at the church to know or I want whoever counts the money to like see how big mine is, and so I, f- I feel like I'm compelled to do that. Or I'm, you know, I, I want the people to notice or the offering thing. And again, COVID saving saving a lot of us. They're like we don't have to like pass that thing down and like, 
Okay. You know, I came from a church where, like, it was hard because a lot of people gave online, and we wanted to make people not feel guilty or compulsive or whatever. And so, like, we would actually give them little things that said, I give online, so they could feel like they did something <laughs> in service. Yeah, it was what it was. I don't know. I didn't agree with it. it was whatever. Uh, I, don't, I'm not, I would never make you do that. Um, so he doesn't want it to be under this place of guilt, and he also doesn't want to be at this place of reluctancy. Then he says how we are supposed to give. And again, this is for us if we are New Testament believers. This is where we lean in. He says, however, he wants us to decide in our heart. It doesn't need to be reluctantly or under compulsion. He wants it to be cheerful. He says, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, what I want to walk you through the rest of the time we have is what in the world does that mean? What, is in the world, what in the world does it mean to be a cheerful giver? And if that's the type of heart God is after, and that's the type of heart that God is calling after me, not one that like is, is you know, calculating fractions to know what it is, not someone who's religious, not someone who's like, I'm giving, but I'm really feeling guilty about this. I'm giving just so, you know, Trent doesn't stop. To, we've been on a whole series on giving, like obviously, you know, what's going on here. Um, he's saying, I want my people to give out of a cheerful heart. So what in the world does that look like? Before I dive into that, I want to uncover something here. Let me pick up my Bible. When he says to give not under compulsion and to not give reluctantly, but to give out of a cheerful heart, many times this is made to seem like the only time I give is when I can feel cheerful about it. And that doesn't work with anything else in our Christian walk. So I want to just like eliminate that up front. Like I don't just, you know, be a good dad when I feel like it. I don't just not do crystal meth when I feel like it. That like it doesn't work. And those aren't, I don't know why I picked those two things. It's just what came to my mind. I bet it's not in my notes. We just, it doesn't work like that. And so right off the bat, here's what I want you to understand. And this is, this is not just a, a finances thing. This is, not, this, this is just like a thing, a life thing. Especially if we're following after Christ. Sometimes, friends, the greatest distance in the entire world is the difference, distance between our head and our heart. Because in our head, we can be sitting here going, man, this makes no sense. I don't want to do this. I'm angry at you. Man, the church doesn't play the songs I like, so I don't want to give anymore. Whatever. Like in our head, we can be thinking all these things. But in our heart, we go, no, 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 no. Man, I know that's really the right thing to do. In my heart, I go, man, God's given me so much. In my heart, my heart is there. And so what I, what I want to, I don't want to, sometimes, and again, the people who argue against, hey, you know, you know just, just give, give, give whatever you feel like. Man, I think that's a dangerous place to be. Because nothing else in our Christian life is based off of how we feel. It's based off of the faith we have. And that faith is in our heart. That's why he says you have to give based off what you've decided in your what? In your heart. Because sometimes your head and your heart aren't going to be on the same page. Some of the biggest mistakes I've made in my life are because I went with my head and not with my heart. See, let me break this down for you. When we become Christians, like if that's you, you put your hope and your faith in Jesus, you've been baptized into Christ. 
Your life goal is not, I'm going to pretend to do what Jesus did, and I'm going to live a life that is like Jesus. No, it is a complete heart takeover. Your old heart of flesh that was jacked up, wicked, deceitful above all things, that thing is ripped out. Jesus comes in, takes over, sits on the throne of your heart, and rules. It's not even your heart anymore, friend. It's his heart beating in your chest. That's why, again, what we talked about last week, he said, it's better if my spirit is inside of you than I would be right beside you. That's because now the heart that is beating is his heart. And that's why something inside of us goes in our heart, not when our head doesn't get there quite yet, because our heart has been transformed. The Bible says, you know, Romans 12, 2, says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The mind's still a work in progress. The heart, it's been redeemed, restored, and renewed by Christ. Amen? So that's there. This isn't here. But also the heart isn't going, I'm going to try to pretend to do things Christians do. It's going, Jesus is the Lord and Savior of this heart. And that's how I've got to get that thing to match up with the way he gives, the way he loves, the way he cares for me. All right. So how do we become those who are cheerful givers out of a heart that's decided to do it? First thing is we have to remember that God is a cheerful giver. It's a Bible verse I want to show you. It's in the book of Hebrews. A letter that an author, uh, some people think is Paul, some people have uh, other guys who they think it is. It doesn't come right out and say it. But it's a letter to, to a church, a group of people who were trying to experience life, following Jesus just like you are, going through the daily struggles, or trying to make ends meet, trying to put food on the table, trying to stay alive. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, Talking about all the faith and how we can keep our faith moving us forward. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, means there are people watching on, not just people in the room, people who are alive with us, but people who have gone on before us in faith. They are, are seeing us, cheering us on. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set out before us. Looking, again, if we're going to run a race, we've got to look to the finish line. The finish line, what are we looking to? Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Hold up, uh, streets of the records, halt. For the joy set before him endured the cross. Okay, so if I want to be a cheerful giver, this verse has got to be foundational to my understanding of who Jesus is, who God is. It says, for the joy set before him endured the cross. What that means, friend, is you can replace the word, the letters J-O-I with Y-O-U. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What that, you can replace it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That joy is you. Jesus said, it is my great joy to honor my great father by bringing you, you friend, you who's watching online, you who's sitting in that chair. It is my great joy to honor my father and bring you to him. So I'm going to lay my life down so that that may be made possible. And he did it not out of shame. Again, the cross... That would have been the most shameful thing that anyone ever could have done. And Jesus went there saying, no, it's not shame to me. It's joy to me because I know what it's going to bring to my Father, i.e. you. So we can be cheerful givers because we realize and understand that that's who our God is. The one verse that everybody in here probably already has memorized. For God so loved the world that he did what? Gave. 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 So I want you to, we're going to go backwards a chapter. I know it's 
weird, but I want you to see how Paul was setting up his whole encouragement here about how to be a chill forgiver. And I think it'll help you understand some things. Go back a chapter to 2 Corinthians 8, 7. I'm going to have it on the screens. If you don't have a Bible, that's, all, that's okay. You can check it out there or on your screen or plug it into your phone. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Again, he's trying to encourage them. He's trying to get them to, to, to match up what they said they were going to do. He's talking to these, this group of believers. He says, but as you excel in everything. So he's saying, like, you're, he's like, gold star, like you're doing good. Like as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness. So he's saying, like, man, he's patting them on the back. And in your love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Now, again, he put that in context. Context is king. The act of grace he's talking about is saying, you guys said that you would help out this church. You haven't made true on that promise yet. You're doing a good job of showing up and having great church attendance. You read your Bible every morning. You say the right things. You do the right things. I need you, though, friends, to put your money where your mouth is and exceed in this grace. Now, again, that's kind of unheard of. Paul is connecting grace to giving. And again, that's New Testament giving. Old Testament giving was because it's a law, you give. New Testament giving is because you have received grace. You give. And when you give, guess what that is? Grace as well. That's the point that he's making here. And so he's saying, listen, this act of grace that I'm calling you to is I'm calling it to be one that, man, you're crushing it. You're reading your Bible. You're crushing it these things. You're doing well. You're showing up at church. You know the right things to do. I want you to excel in generosity. I want you, as a, he's, he's encouraging us, I want you to excel at this. To excel. Now, again, when we talk about excel in giving, like the question we may be asking, you know, and this, again, this is a natural human question. You know, when you're a teenager and you're in the youth group, you're going like, so, like, how far can I go? Like, can we kiss? Can we make out? Are you second, third, fourth, baby? What are we talking about here? Like, that's, that's our question. Like, and again, like, we've got to be honest here. That's where we go a lot of times, is we want to know where the line is. We want to know where the, where, what we can do to what we can get away with. But again, I'm encouraging us to be people who realize that no great relationship, no intimate love relationship thrives on what can I get away with. Like your marriage, if it's, hey, what can, what's the bare minimum I can get away with in stay marriage? That's not going to be fun. What's the, with your kids, what's the bare minimum I can get away with these kids so that defects doesn't come in and take them into foster care? Like, I don't want to grow up in that house. Like, it's not going to be fun. So let's not be that here and, and like in this big crucial area of our life with Jesus go, well, what can I get away with or what's the minimum? I do think, and I agree, when I, when I read the Bible, I don't find a New Testament command for us to tithe, which is give 10% of our giving. Now, some of you are like, what just happened? <laughs> Hold your britches. Um, what, what, what I see is when Jesus comes and he fulfills the law, he takes things a step further. So the bar that the law set of, of tithe, I actually feel like Jesus comes in and he says, this is what law required. But everything that we see in Jesus, he's saying, okay, if law required this, here is what love requires. It's what we see. Jesus preached a great sermon, Matthew chapter 5, called Sermon on the Mount, the best sermon ever preached. I encourage you, like if today you thought mine stunk, go read Matthew 5. It'll blow mine out of the water. And in there, he says, okay, fellas, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. That's what law required. Here's what I'm coming to institute, this thing called love. 
And this thing called love says, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you have already committed adultery. See, Jesus comes in and he says, here's the law and here's the bar of it. I'm coming on the scene and I'm saying, here's now what love requires. And so in the Old Testament, the law required a tithe. I personally feel like, okay, out of the love that Jesus has given us, I don't know. I have a hard time looking at all those other things and going that tithing would be opposite. And he would lower the bar for that one thing. Again, if you read through the whole uh, Sermon on the Mount, it's all about your heart and what Jesus is doing in there and what he is after. And so does it mean 10? I don't know. Does it mean less? Sometimes maybe. Does it mean more? I would probably lean that. If I'm going to, again, you get to the shores of, you know, you get to the shores of heaven, you gave 14 your whole entire life. Like Jesus, and, you go, and he goes, man, you only need to give nine. So what? Like you, he, I think you're going to get a pat on the back. I don't think he's going to go, man, I need you to do, I need you to do 10. No, he's going to be okay. Because again, it's what does love require? And here's the thing about love. Love is not a marriage certificate. Like your marriage certificate says that, okay, these two people apparently, or maybe we're going to guess, going on a limb here, they were in love. And that's just a binding legal agreement. It doesn't change. It says the same, like legally, they are married. The law is the same way. Okay, legally, I got 10%. It's 10% you know, here. It's 10% in 1988. It's 10% in 2008. It's 10% in 2048. Like it's just 10% because that's the law. But your marriage doesn't work like that. Your marriage isn't based off of the laws. Marriage isn't based off the rules. Marriage is based off the relationship. And that changes day by day. That's going off of what happened yesterday. That's going off of what happened today. That's going off of moment by moment. What, and again, big question to a great, amazing relationship with Jesus. Big question to a great, amazing relationship with your wife. Big relation to a great, uh, big question to a great, amazing relationship with your children. What does love require? That's it. Man, if, if we can wake up in the morning and ask ourselves, what does love require? If we can go in the meeting at the workplace, what does love require? If we run into an encounter with somebody who doesn't know Jesus and they're complaining about how bad their life is, asking myself the question, what does love require? It changes everything. Because that gets us to the place where we are generous givers because we understand how much we have been generously given. And my prayer is that like Paul was encouraging that church, that we would be a church that excels at this as well. Now hear me, because of Paul Leslie, and because of the grace of Jesus Christ, MCC has been a church that has excelled at this. The, the, the way that this church gives, the way that this church continues to give itself away, the way that we say out of 16% of everything that comes into MCC, it's going to local and global missions, which, again, I've been on staff at a, a, a couple of churches that are much larger than us. They don't do that. Uh, again, not, that's not to pat us on the back, but that's just to say we're, there's something different about you. And my prayer is that it continues to stay different, and we continue to excel in this area. So he challenges them. He challenges them to excel. Look what he says in the verse after that. Again, we're in 2 Corinthians 8, 8 now. Paul's telling them why he tells them to excel in this. He says, I say this, not as a command. Again, he's not trying to, okay, we want rules. Like anybody, like anybody rule followers, just thrive off of rules. Give me some rules. I just want the rules. Just tell me what I need to do. Like, it's okay to be honest. Just in, your, in, the, in the comments there on Facebook, you dig rules. That's okay. Jesus refused, and again, he's going to give us some rules. He refuses to give us rules on everything, though, because more than he wants our obedience and our adherence to rules, he wants our heart. So he says, 
this is not a command. Verse 8. It's not a command, but the reason I'm asking you to do this, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. So Paul, is this, I mean, let's just call it like it is. Paul, again, he's trying to rebuild their relationship a little bit here. He's telling them, Corinthians, put your money where your mouth is. You're showing up a Bible study. You're, you're, you're highlighting verses. You've got great attendance. You're sharing the live stream. You're doing all that. But listen, this isn't one of those things. What's going on in the church there? Like, we'll pray for you isn't going to cut it. It's going to take something else. It's going to take us relinquishing and releasing some of the things that God has given us. That's why in verse 9 he says, listen to this. If you miss everything that I say today, don't miss verse 9 of this passage. For you know the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, again, he's Jesus, heaven, all the resources, God, he was rich. Yet for your sake, your sake, friend, your sake, he became poor. And when it's talking about poor right there, it's not just taking into account that he walked around Jerusalem in sandals and a cloak and he didn't have a house. When it says he became poor, it's pointing to the fact that he literally became nothing on the cross so that you can become everything that God has always intended for you to be in him. He became poor. So that you, by his poverty, by the fact that he emptied himself fully for you, might become rich. That word might right there terrifies me. Because there are some of you who might not become rich. You might be the richest person in this room. You might be the richest person watching this online. But you will die and spend an eternity in absolute poverty because you will not be in the place you were destined to be, the place where God wants you. You will not be rich. You will never experience, you will never taste what it's like to sit around the table and look across and see God eye to eye, to see Jesus face to face, to see the relatives that have gone on before you face to face. You may be the richest person in this world. And again, the verse is in there, the word is in there on purpose so that you might become rich. Not here but an internal aspect. And Paul, again, he, he's, he's warning them. He's given this connection. The biggest thing that might keep you from eternal riches is hoarding earthly riches here. So, first way, if we want to be a cheerful giver, we've got to understand that God is a cheerful giver. Next way, if we want to be a cheerful giver, we have to remember that God is able. So look at this verse. Go back to 2 Corinthians 9, 8. So 2 Corinthians 9, 9, 7, he says, you know, you know, each one must give as he decides in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the very next thing he says after be a cheerful giver is remember, God is able. Look at 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He's telling them that if you want to be a cheerful giver, that's a heart you want to have. You have to understand that God is able. So when you understand that God is able, then you can go, I can let go. I've received this grace. And now I can relinquish it and give it to God. I want to show you a story about a couple here at MCC who experienced this reality that when they felt like they were not able 
and they're going to have a lot in common with you in this room. This story happened when they were uh, essentially a young family. Now listen, I, I, I'm, I'm with you here. I know it's like just be starting out. I know it's like to be in that like 20 to 40 range where your career's not really there, the salary's not really there, you're coming to church, but man, you're, you're maybe wanting to give, but you're, you're doing everything you can to kind of build this thing, to kind of get it off the ground, to kind of get this momentum going in the right direction. And so this idea of giving or, or being sacrificial or helping other people, man, it seems really off the wall. I want you to hear from a couple who I believe, though it's not here in 2021, it was back in 1988. They felt exactly like what you're feeling, and I believe they can help for exactly what you're going through. Let's check it out. We're Tom and Marjo Ann Licker. We've been attending here at McDonough since 2001. So this is a story that we've told many times, but it took place around 1988, and our daughters were both in, well, Margaret was in middle school, Catherine was in the sixth grade, and I was working at Delta in the evening shift, 3 to 11. Marjo was teaching English at Fayette County High. And it had become that day when we had to pay bills and make checks. And quite frankly, at that point in our lives, we were living paycheck to paycheck. And I had been selected as an elder at the Kenwood Church and I felt a real obligation to make sure that we did a tithe each month. And Marjo and I had discussed and agreed that yes, we were going to try to do that to the best of our ability. So I paid the bills and went to the high school to take the checkbook to Marjo so that she could get groceries. And as Paul Harvey would say, here's the rest of the story. Tom came into my room at lunchtime and we chatted for a little while and then he said to me, well, here's the checkbook and I paid the bills this morning. I said, okay, fine. And he said, well, I made a double payment on one of our credit card uh, bills and so that's left you just a little bit short of grocery money. And I looked at him and I said, a little bit short, what does that mean? And he said, well, you have $75 for the next couple weeks. And I absolutely hit the ceiling. <laughs> and I said, $75 to feed a family of four? You have got to be kidding me. Well, a conversation ensued. And finally, I guess he decided it was time to leave. And so as he walked out the door, I gave my parting shot. And I'm ashamed to say that I said, well, maybe we're just giving too much to the church. We need to cut back. And he whipped around and put his finger in my face and said, absolutely not. We have made a commitment and we will honor that commitment. Things were a little quiet at the Anlicker household for a couple days and on Saturday morning, we got up and I said, you are going to the grocery store with me and you're gonna see just how far $75 goes to feed four people for two weeks. So we got in the car and we're driving down Kenwood Road in Fayetteville 
and he was over on his side being Mr. Happy, and I was over on my side pouting still, and Kenwood Road comes up to a stop sign at Highway 314. And as we pulled up to the stop sign, suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, a big truck appeared, and as it went past the stop sign, the doors of this truck flew open, and out onto the highway spilled crates and crates of frozen food. There were roast beef and fish and hot dogs and Steaks. vegetables and things we have never even heard of. All this frozen food all over the highway. So we jumped out of the car and started gathering it up because other cars were, were starting to come. We were gathering it up, putting it back in the crates. And we just kind of looked at each other and said, well, what are we going to do? And so finally Tom said, well, I'd probably better go back to the house and, and get the truck. And you wait here with the frozen food. We'll go back and I'll go back and get the uh, truck to, and we'll take it home and figure out what to do. Of course, we didn't know the name of the company that the frozen food came from. And um, there was a name on one of the packages and we tried to find the owner, but it was clear that we were not going to find out who this food belonged to. So we filled up our freezer. We gave some food to neighbors. We gave food to friends. We took some food out to the children's home at Christian City. We had way, way, way more frozen food suddenly than we really had knew space. what to do with and had space for. Well, this is the story of God's amazing way that he fulfills his promises of his love, and I think of his sense of humor too. So Tom's gonna to read to you from Malachi. Before I do that, we ate off of this food from probably about mid-April to uh, October. And so we, it just couldn't happen. It was crazy. I'm going to back up. Malachi 310 is where we're going to go. But as Andy Doherty would say, uh, you, you have to get the context. Uh, and it said, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. And then verse 10 says, bring the whole tithe, tithe to the, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates or the doors of a freezing truck of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room or refrigerator space to store it all. And it's funny, but it's true. And that that occasion probably changed our life from that point on. Amen. How about that? See, 
Tom and Marjo figured out in a really hilarious way that, that God is, in fact, able. And friend, you, you will never realize that God is able until you're in a situation where you're not. I'll say that again. You will never figure out that God is able until you're in a situation where you're not. Now that's what scares us. That's feeding a family of four $75 and like, that's, that's where you're not able. Now look, as we look around this room and as we, we talk to our friends online, like, I know some of us are in situations where we go, I'm not able. In regards to, to even giving, we're going, I'm not able. Well, maybe that's good news. Because that means we're on the precipice of a, of a moment of figuring out that God, in fact, is. Because if we want to be cheerful givers, if we want to experience the glory that God really has in store, it's us getting past ourselves and getting into some of those situations where we're not able. And the last thing, if we want to be cheerful givers, we have to remember that God gives seed to the sower. Let's look about how this, this passage kind of wraps up. 2 Corinthians 9, 9. It says, As is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor, and His righteousness endures forever. So the He there is not God. This is Paul going back and quoting something from the Psalm of Proverbs. I can't remember exactly right now. But he's going back and he's quoting uh, this. He's, he's giving an example of a person, a human being like me and you, who gives generously. He says, He distributes freely. He is given to the poor, and His righteousness endures forever. Verse 9, or verse 10. He, now this he, is gone from talking about a human to now talking about God. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower. So God gives seed to the sower. Underline that. And bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Let's keep going. 11, you will be enriched in every good way. Not to pay off the house, not to buy a nicer car, not to fill in your own blank that you want to do. Listen to what it says. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us, again, he's talking to a church, encouraging them to be generous, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. That's God's glory. That's what God is all after. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service. Paul's saying the whole reason we're doing this, the whole reason I'm getting in boats and getting snake bit and flying around and getting shipwrecked and going to end up giving my life for this, the whole reason for this ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. I'm not, he's, he's saying, I'm not just trying to keep lights on at the church. I'm not just trying to keep food in people's belly. The whole reason we are doing this is not just to meet the needs of the saints, but it's also the overflowing and many thanksgiving to God. He's saying, when we give, we are understanding that we have had more of God's love, more of God's grace, all of that poured into us. And listen, guys, the thing that, in my opinion, determines how much of a recipient of God's grace we are is how much we are giving that grace out. Now, that grace is going to look different at different times in our life. Sometimes that grace is going to be giving some money to the poor. Sometimes that grace is going to be take, going out on a limb and start tithing to a church. Sometimes that grace is going to be you know, having a hard conversation that you need to have. Sometimes it will be that. But I don't want you to miss who he says he gives seed to. Now, let's just get on the same page. 
we'd much rather God give us a harvest, right? Like, that's one of the tough parts about following Christ, is, is we get into a sticky situation, and we want the fruits. We want the harvest. God says, I see your need. I'm going to give you seed. <laughs> and that's tough. But I want you to see who God gives to. It said God supplies seed to the sower, not the needer. Everybody in this room is needy. Everybody has needs. Everybody has bills to pay. But do you see the person? And again, it says that God loves a cheerful giver. Does that mean that God doesn't love you if you're not giving cheerfully? No. What that means, though, is that when it says God loves a cheerful giver, it's saying there's a special place in the heart of God. So for someone who is, is giving out of the abundance of grace that they have received, that person who's just living that open-handed life, there's a special place in the heart of God for that person. Because God has realized that that person is not just a gimme, 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 need, need, need. That's the type of person who says, give me the seed so I can sow. And that's the person that God says, I'm just going to dump the basket. Because that's someone who I know will do the hard work that it takes to plow the field, to plant the seed, so that a harvest can be gained. And that people, again, the harvest that we reap as Christians, it's not a harvest of stuff. It's a harvest of souls that go from an eternal life separated from God to an eternity with heaven, with God. That's what we're after. And so, friends, the question is not, is God able? The question is, are you a sower? As we end today, I want to invite you into that, uh, to give you this opportunity to, to be someone who says, God, in my head right now, it doesn't make sense. In my head right now, uh, I'm not able. But I'm going to trust that because, one, you are a cheerful giver, and two, you are able, and three, you give seed to the sower, I'm going to do something where I'm not able to trust that you show me those things. And so what I would invite you to today, I'd invite you to give, regardless of if you've already tithed, regardless if you've already given, to, to go, man, out of the abundance of the grace that I've been given, I'm going to give today. And again, I'm not inviting you to do this because we need anything from you, I'm inviting you to do this because I believe God has something for you. In the same way that Tom and Marjo have that story to share, I, two people came up to me after last service sharing stories of how they experienced God in a new way. Listen, I believe God has amazing stories of His generosity that He wants to be birthed in your life. And I believe if you want to fall more and more in love with something, begin to give to something. Because guys, there, at the end of the day, there's no such giving as anything other than sacrificial giving. All giving requires sacrifice. And I pray today that, that you would be generous. If you're watching online, that you'd be generous. Not because I preach a good sermon. See, look, the true disciples of Christ don't give generously because of a sermon. True disciples of Christ live generously because of the gospel. And that's all I'm calling us to. And the gospel is this, that, that God so loved you and the whole entire world that He gave His life for you. So if you put your faith, you put your trust, and believe in Him, you can have eternal life with Him forever. As we celebrate communion, that's what that's all about. In a second, we're going to receive communion, and then we're going to sing a song that talks about how we are to build our life upon His love, not upon our, our strategy and our, our technicalities and how we can bend this rule and get this and strive after this, but how we can build our lives on His love. His love that was on display fully on the cross.
Church, I love you. I pray you meet with the one who loves you more than anything else today.